This morning, as we continue our sermon on the Mount series, we are on the fourth illustration of Jesus when it comes to true meaning of the Old Testament law. And Jesus said, I did not come to destroy, demolish the Old Testament law, but to fulfill. And then he gives an example, but let's give a little overview. The whole thing is tension between the religious leaders, Pharisees, who were very devout, spiritual group, determined to follow every detail of the law, and whose righteousness is well known to everyone else. When Jesus came, and actually in that Matthew 5, in the midst of it all, he began with this declaration. Unless your righteousness exceeds, surpasses that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That was a shocking statement. Because everyone knows who was the most righteous persons in our city. It was the Pharisees and scribes. Scribes happens to be the, the people who are writing down manuscripts of the law and which happen to be also teachers of the law. Righteousness that is greater than them? What, that, what would that look like? And Jesus is actually pointing out external religious righteousness versus heart righteousness. So remember the heart righteousness is the basis of whole and the entire Sermon on the Mount, eight Beatitudes. So he's actually pointing to that. Then no one, in light of this deep application and standard, no one can achieve or merit their own self-righteousness in order to enter the kingdom of God. This is a somewhat very paradoxical. The more you try, the harder you try to achieve your self-righteousness, the further you are away from the kingdom of God. But Jesus, once again, is not opposing to the Old Testament law. His law is spiritual. Law is good. Law reflects the heart of and character of God. So the few principles kind of emerges out. Let's look at it in a slightly different way, this way. The one is, instead of focusing on the letter of the law, which is a religious righteousness, heart righteousness focus the spirit of the law. By spirit of the law, it means why was the law wording it this way? What is the character that reflects this law? It's not just external, but internal as well. And because of that, religious righteousness or external righteousness focuses on change of behavior, heart righteousness that Jesus is preaching, is on change of heart. Religious righteousness or external righteousness is based on 
married building, but in that heart righteousness of Jesus is based on character building. And this is what was going on. The initial intention might be might have been noble for Pharisees and the scribes, but they somehow wanted to continually pursue this law so that they could achieve the status. So in order for them to do that, they had to make it very doable, tangible. Distortion happened, misinterpretation happened, so at least they could achieve in the external level. When they have done that, they felt self-righteous. And they would judge others from their own standard. Which, in Jesus' eyes, the greater sin, hypocrisy. Let's be aware, it's not just the Pharisees. Any one of us who wants to be serious about Christian life can easily fall into this Phariseeism. The focus is whether external or on us, or focus is on the heart and the God-centered, Christ-centered. And having said that, Jesus is um, giving six examples, six illustrations from the Old Testament. The reason why, once again, he would quote it as, you have heard that it was said, Instead, that was intentional, instead of, it is written. When he was actually directly quoting, even fighting the temptations in the desert with, from, the, from the devil, he would quote the scripture, Old Testament scripture, as it is written. But here, you have heard it was said. It was a human tradition, oral teaching. Oral tradition of the Pharisees and the religious leaders that he's opposing too. So he brings out true meaning of the scripture, but the newness of it is he brings out, as he brings out true meaning, he brings out deeper application in light of the spirit of the law. The first one we looked at was a murder. But then yet the spirit of the law is actually dealing with hatred, hateful anger. That we are to deal with that. The second one is adultery versus lust. And third one, divorce versus fidelity in marriage. The obsession about giving divorce certificate, using the excuses of from the Mosaic Law, which was actually more of a concession, permission because of hardened hearts of people. But they were obsessed about doing the things right. But Jesus is pointing to the 
spirit of the law is actually sacred oneness, lifetime oneness, fidelity in, in marriage. And notice that these are fundamental motivation of any human being. If you think about the most fundamental, basic, forceful motivation or craving is anger and sex and marriage. He deals with that. And then fourth example, which is today, is on oath-taking or swearing. Either in the name of God, in the name of things, in the name of their own head. Um, but the spirit of the law is about heart honesty in speech. And then next coming weeks, we're going to talk about the famous passages also have become very misunderstood in many ways. Uh, by very renowned uh, philosophers and novelists like a Tolstoy or uh, Gandhi, about eye for an eye versus non-retaliation, turning your cheek, the other cheek. And then lastly, it concludes with the sixth, sixth example is love for neighbor. Jesus brings out the heart of the matter is actually love your neighbor. I mean, love your enemy. So as I mentioned, today's passage is not just about oath, because many of us uh, are not really living on the oath day to day, unless you are a lawyer and seeing that uh, oath taking every courtroom. But mostly... It feels like something far away from us. But when we think about the fact that honesty in speech is the, the driving theme of this teaching, we need to feel the force of countercultural impact that Jesus' teaching makes. Revolutionary, radical teaching. Why? Uh, because of uh, the, it's a political season, and sometimes it's very difficult to even go on online and and uh, social media because all this junk is going on. Part of the junk is of people fighting about lies. Oh God, have mercy on the U.S. Our nation is in trouble, and because of the political leaders are not trustworthy. And then it's, we seem to have lost the ways. But if you look at even the way we do business with others. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time trusting any mechanics. And and when, I, when you call somebody for a big project, and your first worry is, 
Is this person, is this business honest? Buying a car? And even talking to some people for advice. And sadly, that includes churches, local churches. Spiritual leaders and pastors are not automatically respected and, and trusted fully. There is a glimpse of a dark cloud. It's almost like the pastors and spiritual leaders now, elders of the church, have to prove they're worthy of trust rather than the trust is given and respect is given. Because a lot to do with our hurts and disillusionment. And closer to our home and marriages, those half-truth and the well-meaning truth that wasn't supported with life itself, the marriages is in trouble. Many marriages is in trouble because of that. So when we hear Jesus teaching, let's put our, our, our guards down and listen to it. Like the tax collector who's beating his head and beating his chest, saying, have mercy on me, O oh God, a sinner. Let's first look at how this was distorted. The, it's distorted interpretation of Pharisees and the scribe. In verse 33, Jesus said, You have heard it was said, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That exact wording is not from the Old Testament, but the concept is. Uh, traditional teaching uh, of the rabbi, rabbis of the day took the Old Testament teaching and just slightly distorted. What do I mean by that? If you look at uh, Matthew 23, 16 through 22, there is an example. This was a rampant example, uh, lies of the day. And Jesus is pointing out to two Pharisees. Verse 16, it reads, Woe to you, blind guys, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold of the or the temple, that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind man, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So, Whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God 
and by him who sits upon it. Do you see it? The first distortment was they twisted the focus as having correct formulas. You have to say it this way. Or in order to avoid, evade the responsibility, they will say, I swear by these mountains. And knowing that, it's not directly to the Lord, and by the name of the Lord, they say, I don't have to keep it. The whole thing, what Jesus pointing about altar and altar, the gift on the altar, and the gold and the temple, is exactly that. Which leads to second reason, they abuse oath-taking as a way of having an appearance of telling the truth. When you want to be trusted, this was a way, a tool, in ordinary everyday life. They abused it. And thirdly, because of that, this distortion allowed them to avoid their responsibility of keeping oath, and furthermore, is telling the truth at all times. So when we look at um, this passage, one, one thing that we need to understand is Jesus is not opposing to the Old Testament law. So what is the true teaching from the Old Testament law first? And then we need to think about the deeper applications as well. So this true meaning and deeper application that Jesus brings in verse 34 to 37, Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath, oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So first, let's think about the true meaning of the Old Testament law. It focuses on prohibition of false swearing and breaking an oath, which means some of the passages bring out as an encouragement to make an oath, make vow to the Lord. The vows and oath weren't the problem. The misuse and abuse of, of those were the problem. Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The basis reason for uh, false swearing and breaking an oath it has been pro- prohibited. In Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by name falsely, 
and profane the name of your God. Numbers 32, if a man vows a, a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. What's the message? The message is not, don't make a vow, don't make an oath at all. In some special occasions, you may need to, it may help you because of your defiled heart. We don't even know what's truth in our hearts. And when we say, this is my heart, and I, Paul Kim, in the name of our God, promised you to love you as my bride for the rest of my physical life. We've done that. We should do that. But it was wrong for us to break it. And it was wrong to misuse it as a daily language. Honestly, frankly, to be perfectly honest with you, people who use that too, too, too frequently, we turn them off because it doesn't make any difference at all. Cross my and hope, hope to die, really? That itself sounds like a lie. So secondly, Jesus' deeper application is don't swear at all. Be a person of word who doesn't need oath-taking to, the, to tell the truth. Deal with your heart where your character is formed. There are well-meaning uh, Christians, Christ, Christ followers. Uh, I think the famous group is the Quakers. I love Quakers' writing and reflection of those, um, either Thomas Kelly or George Fox, or even Richard Foster has a root in um, Quakers. And they took this literally. So there is always a difference between take the scripture truthfully versus literally. Because there's a genre, and there's a figure of speech, and there's an emphasis. And to take, to take it literally would sometimes lead us into the wrong application. With all the respect and admiration of a fake Quaker movement, and their decision, and the good Quaker will not uh, take any oath in the courtroom or any kind of signature that uh, makes a vow. I don't know how they do uh, contracts or, or, or the mortgages or something. However well-meaning they were, I believe they're wrong. Why? If Jesus is not going against 
to the Old Testament law, but the distorted interpretation was his point to which he is bringing his antithesis. We need to think about what could it mean? How do we really apply on this? The two things. It does not mean absolute prohibition of all oath taking, such as in the wedding and courtroom and commissioning, inauguration, and even solemn moments in your relationship with your loved ones. And when you're when you're standing near by your your father, your mother's deathbed, and you make promise. And those are more precious than than typical ones that you could say. Dad. And as a matter of fact, I've done that. When my that my dad didn't ask me to. But I was standing there, prompted by the Holy Spirit. Deep regrets about my relationship with my dad. And that vow that I made helps me, even to this day, however weak um, and fickle I am. I'm trying to follow that. It helps me. And I want to reveal that. I want to keep it uh, personal with between God and me. It means then that we must not and need not swear in everyday ordinary life as a formula to tell the truth or to make promises or even to have an appearance of telling the truth. Some of you are still wondering. Maybe uh, Jesus was so clear about I tell you, I, I say to you, don't, do not take an oath at all. At all means at all. Okay, let's take a look at some of the passages from Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Starting with uh, Hebrews 3, uh, 6, 13. The writer of the Hebrew talks about the Old Testament history. And there are several passages in the Old Testament directly as well. But I've chosen this because of it's the way that it's written Verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to share, he swore by himself. It it makes sense. Because God doesn't have anyone who is greater than him, that whose trustworthy is greater than him. He swore by himself. And not only that, in Psalms 76, verse 11, and other passages, is encouraging believers to make vow. Make your vows to the Lord, your God, and perform them. How about Jesus himself? In Matthew 26, 60 through 3 to 64. This is a scene at... Uh, after the Gethsemane, Jesus was arrested and going to this place and that place, of this ridiculous court. 
and before the high priest. They, Jesus remained silent, would not answer anything. And the high priest said to him, verse 63, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Then he opened his mouth. Jesus said to him, you have said so. Apostle Paul, only two examples, but there's numerous passages in Romans uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. How about in 1 Thessalonians 5.27 I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. So the point is this. There are occasions, special occasions, that we could use oath taking. But it must not be everyday language as a formula, as an external truth-telling only. Because it is really the heart righteousness that we are to go after. So Jesus' deeper application was uh, to not swear, swear like the way that the Pharisees and the, the people of the day did. Deal with your heart where your character is formed. The spirit of this law is say what you mean and mean what you say. And keep your language honest, guileless, and trustworthy at all times. In one word, the spirit of this law is integrity. And what lacks in our generation as well is this integrity. We, be, we have become desensitized that we could chill out and relax a little bit. Some of the white lies and half-truth is actually good for relationships. You cannot be a politician without half-truth and white lies. People say. So this is the type of teaching that is so clear, but then it's so conceptual. What do you do with this? And as I mentioned, the, this part, the teaching of these six examples is actually commanding Jesus, urging us to live righteously, to do righteous things, not just having, the, having thoughts about righteousness. So at least there are two applications that I would like to suggest. When we hear that, let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil, taking that, and then the first thing that comes to my mind is 
we are to be people of integrity in our speech. That means uh, we are to become a person, a man and woman who does not need an oath-taking to tell the truth. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Mark Twain always has the wit, even quoting uh, Bible passages, and say the things that no Christians can outwardly say, lie, abomination before the Lord, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Isn't this so true? Especially when you are under pressure at work and in social uh, gatherings that everybody's not a Christian. What would that look like for us? To be a person of integrity. Before language and speech, it is our heart. We need to deal with our heart. We need to become convinced and determined to be a man and woman of integrity. I'm going to give you some specific examples and later, even more examples. But one that comes to my mind is, there are things that uh, we don't have any dark, evil motive about. But we slide into it, having fun with it, and sometimes forget. By, by the time we drifted away from the truth so much, we even ourselves forget which is really true, which is not fully true, which is half lies, half truth, which is full truth. We laugh about it, but it reveals our heart. For example, the people who went to Vietnam War or any kind of war, they tell the story and they'll exaggerate stories. The last time he was faced with 20 people, 20 soldiers in front of him. And now, somehow the same story, now it's a 50 soldiers he's facing alone. And then growing up, I laughed about it. But to our, my sons, I'm telling my story of my glory days. The daddy used to be black belt. And then I used to be tough enough. And then I really, one day I got, really convicted and trying to tell them, actually, son, the true story is this. I forgot which one is true and which one is not. <laughs> Let's have our life speak for itself. If we need anything as an oath, and our life is a proof and oath itself, that we don't need to say, I swear to God. Or to be perfectly, 
you could take this word to to bank. Because our life speaks loudly. You know what that means? It's not just technique. We need to be transformed in our hearts. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm praying that Holy Spirit will prompt and convict your heart to repent. Some of you to need to turn your ways to God's way and to feel the sensitization of sins of half-truth and half-lies. The white lies that helped you. Number two, we are to pursue radical honesty in speech at all times. By radical honesty, I mean it is really intentional, proactive, full honesty in our speech rather than having noble thoughts and just let it slide. Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with, your, with his neighbor, for we are members one of the other, one another. Colossians 3, 9 to 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, the, in knowledge after the image of its creator. So what would that look like? The sum of the radical honesty. I could think of at least uh, five examples here. The first one is blatant deceit. Willful, blatant lies about ourselves or other situations. Uh, either cheating or, or defrauding or slandering. We need to catch ourselves even at work. And we need to refuse to lie for our companies, our bosses, because of that too. There is a consequence. And uh, I just glanced over... Harvard Business Review, one of the writers says that there are three reasons why people lie in the, in a, at work. The one is the impact on themselves, one is the impact on others, one is the impact on the business itself. It's, it's all about the same reasons. Because you don't want to give a full reason, you slacked off and you are goofed around so your project is lagging. Instead of that, it's a little bit of lie is or the snowstorm, which happened several weeks ago. And the impact on others is actually hesitating to say any, give any negative feedback in order to gain, self-gain. It's, it's not about them. And it's the impact on the business itself is if the business don't do well, if business don't survive, or I get pinpointed as person who's troublemaker, not going along with what business, uh, business as usual in this company, it becomes us, self-interest again. 
The second practical way is exaggeration, overemphasis, enlarging any beyond bounds or truth, and even saying always, never, everyone, and cross my whole... We don't usually do that, but continually saying honestly, or to be perfectly honest. So once again, it's not an absolute prohibition of oath-taking. So people who are going the other way and saying, you shouldn't say frankly or to be honest. When there is a sometimes when you're confessing with your spouse or your, your friends, we, are to, we can and are to use that. Why? But Jesus sometimes will say, truly, truly, I say to you. So number three uh, practical way is pretext. An effort or strategy intended to conceal something, a double meaning, a double speaking, manipulative language. I swear this is the last time. If you forgive me. Or don't tell anybody. Isn't it true that when we say don't tell anybody, that person will go to the next person and say don't tell anybody. And another person next, don't tell anybody. Half truth is also misleading and partial truth and white lies. I've been doing this every day. It is partially true, but not doing this in a way that you're promised. Or it's not every day, every other week, every other day. And then something that uh, <coughs> Christians or even pastors ought to be very careful about. When we say, this is really on my heart. Instead of full disclosure... You pick whatever you want to share, which conceals things. And lastly, empty promises, a meaningless, a superficial promise. When was, when was the last time you said, I'll pray for you? Or you email it back really quickly, I pray for you. And didn't, you didn't mean harm. You forgot to pray. Oh well. At least have a good thoughts. No, that's not pray. That's non-Christians thinking of pray for our soldiers and having good thoughts about soldiers. That's praying is a praying to the Father and Abba Father, praying in the name of Jesus, praying, asking on behalf of the person. So, one way that I'm trying to practice, so when I'm writing, I'm praying for you, and actually I'm writing and praying out loud as I'm writing. 
or write my prayer in the letter, in the email. I'm praying for the person. Or sometimes I simply hold my tongue by saying the nice things. I'll pray for you. Really? Really? I'll take you there tomorrow. It's my own coat. To my sons, I'm busy. I'll take you there tomorrow. Tomorrow came. Dad, I, wow, they don't forget these kind of things. Okay, next week. You see, the whole thing is whenever we are taking an oath or seriously, we need to be careful whether our heart is ready for that. And then if there is any confusion, is this the right time? Is this a special occasion or the ordinary life things? The good rule of thumb is, what's my motivation, honest motivation behind it? Is it for myself? It, it helps me? It, it, it conceals my any kind of bad side? Or it is truthful? If it is truthful, that actually pokes my conscience. Or we are to use it. So think about this. As you are um, journeying with us in you know, uh, Crossway Church and you're doing the membership covenant, all, almost all of you have signed on that. And then half jokingly, some people will say, like, it is legally bound. What if I cannot agree with everything? And Of course, this is between you and God. This actually helps you to make determination in your heart instead of being wishy-washy about it. Same thing with, with our marriage. It's the same thing also too. We are to renew that vow. And to the Lord, I will. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That should be a vow. And every day we should to renew our vow. And as you're journeying with us, there will be a time that... That might be difficult, and that might have, you might face some conflicts. You might not like some of the teachings that I do. Even if it's, I'm trying my best to teach from the scripture, maybe it's my style, maybe it's, it's the way that I, many of you think that I'm too structured. How will we? Persevere. Integrity. I'm praying that one of the marks of Crossway Church members as Christ followers. A trustworthiness. That people can trust us. That with their children. With their money. With their property. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not promoting this sectish spiritual elite group at all. I'm talking about radical following of Jesus Christ will turn out to be trustworthy people. Because 
we are to be people of integrity. Because Christ calls us to be. I close with this quote from uh, none other than Charles Spurgeon, which was written in 1869. And I thought this meditation from Psalm 141.3 was helpful. He writes, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. That mouth had been used in prayer. It would be a pity it should ever be defiled with untruth or pride or wrath. Yet, so it will become unless carefully watched. For these intruders are ever lurking about the door. David feels that with all his own watchfulness, he may be surprised into sin. And so he begs the Lord himself to keep him. When Jehovah sets the watch, the city is well guarded. When the Lord becomes the guard of your mouth, of our mouth, the whole man is well garrisoned. Keep the door of my lips. God has made our lips the door of, of the mouth, but we cannot keep, the, that, keep that door of ourselves. And therefore, do we entreat the Lord to take the rule of it? Oh, that the Lord would open, both open and shut our lips, for we can do neither the one nor the other aright if left to ourselves. We are ennobled by being doorkeepers for him, yet he designs to be a doorkeeper for us. So let's actively depend on the Holy Spirit within us so that he will protect us, so that he will guide us, so that he will illuminate enlighten whatever needs to be seen in our hearts and may the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ transform us in coming days and weeks let's pray Lord Jesus thank you for this clarity and the radical teaching that you have provided for us I would confess we come short in light of this standard and teaching. We're guilty. So we lean on you. Have mercy on us. As the psalmist David said, keep a watch of our, our mouth and keep the door of our, our speech Make us man and woman of integrity as we pursue radical honesty in speech. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your being a light by which we could guide ourselves. We could be guided by, by your teaching in this teeming world. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen.